0: Good morning, guys. Just ignore this balloon floating over my head for a moment. I forgot a belt, actually. And this is the only thing keeping my pants on at the moment. So maybe we'll come back to this. Who knows? Hey, have you ever noticed that the way people feel about you often fluctuates? That day-to-day, the way people seem to see you, the love that they have in their heart for you, whether they're pleased or angry with you, whatever it might be, day-to-day, the way people feel about you, it tends to fluctuate, doesn't it? (laughs) Sometimes you show up in people's lives and they seem to be full of love and admiration and respect for you, you know? They just feel good. They're swollen, they're swelling with love and positive joy when they see you. And then some days it's like, people, I don't know what you did. I don't know how you angered them. I don't know how you frustrated them, but somehow you show up in their life someday and they just feel deflated. It feels like something is missing from the relationship. Have you ever experienced that before? I certainly have. Um, Maybe it's at work, right? And you nail a presentation. You just do such a good job and your boss, your boss loves you. You just walk around with your chest puffed out in the office because you know the manager saw you kill it. You did such a good job. His appreciation, his feelings, his love for you, it's, it's large. It's grown because of the way you perform. Then maybe the next week, like I often do, you miss a deadline. And it's like whatever the manager was feeling, the boss is no longer feeling anymore. It's kind of deflated. Something has fallen by the wayside. If you're a teenager, this happens all the time. You do your chores for once. So you do your chores and mom and dad are pumped. They're so proud of you. They feel great. The house looks clean. You feel good about yourself because you did something you know you were supposed to do. And then later that day, you give your brother a wedgie. And you know, mom just, she's just like, oh, this kid, I can't believe it. Now, the interesting thing is dad is like okay, that wasn't too bad. Like that was an atomic wedgie that got over his head. So that was pretty good. It's just differences between mom and dad. But in the home, the way people feel about us, it can expand or it can contract. It can grow or it can wane at the drop of a hat. It happens in all sorts of areas of our life. Maybe, maybe you've got a sister who's you know, having a hard time and she needs a little bit of money. And so she comes to you and says, hey, can I borrow some cash? And you're like, sure, here you go. Here's a little bit of money. I'll help you out. I want you to have what you need. And so you help her. But then you ask for the money back. And all of a sudden it's like, how dare you ask for the money back? Do you know how things are going? The way people feel about you, it grows and it contracts Based often on how you perform, what you do, what's going on in your own heart, in your own life. And then sometimes, let's just be real, the way we feel about ourselves, it gets bigger and it gets smaller and sometimes we have no control over it. Sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. So for instance, maybe you're feeling great about yourself this week because you went to the gym every single day. You just feel good because you put in the time, you put in the work, and you're proud of yourself. (sighs) You swell with pride. You feel so good. Then you go home on Saturday night and you eat an entire pint of ice cream and you undo all the work that you just did. And you're like, oh my gosh, I feel so bad. Sometimes it's not even about what we do. Sometimes there's no explanation for it at all. Sometimes people love you. Sometimes people hate you. And you're like, I didn't do anything good or anything bad. I can't even explain what's going on in this moment. You walk in the door, your wife's mad. And you're like, I promise I didn't do anything this time. It's not me. People have bad days. They have good days. And the emotions, the, the, the feelings, even the love that they have for us It grows and it contracts. Now, stay with me. Because this is the way that all of our earthly relationships operate, you and I have a tendency to believe that this is the way our relationship with God also operates. Do you understand that? Because the relationships around us, the love that we feel from the people around us, the the emotions and 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 the care that we have for one another, it tends to grow and contract based on how we perform or based on things we can't even articulate or explain. Everybody in our world tends to look at God the same way. And we think, okay, God loves me when I do the right things and God is furious with me when I break the rules. God is happy with me if I prioritize him. And then God is just so frustrated with me when I don't. So maybe you come to church today, which you all did. Thanks for doing that. Glad you're here. And you're thinking, God must be in heaven looking at me saying like, wow, I'm so proud of her. She came to church today. She hasn't been to church in so long. That's amazing. You feel like God has, he's just got all the love in the world because you know you've prioritized him. But maybe in about 20 minutes, you're going to fall asleep. And it's like, oh, there goes whatever God had, you know, whatever feelings of goodness he had towards me. I, I messed it up. I did wrong. I was here, but then I fell asleep. So God, he's got to be more like this and not like this. Maybe you're here this morning and you, you lift your hands in worship, right? And you're thinking, man, I'm so into this. Like this is, yes, God must be so happy. He must be so proud of me because I lifted my hands today during the song service. And then you're on your drive home and you lift a finger at that guy in traffic. You know what I'm saying? And you're just like, God has got to hate me so much. He has got to be so frustrated with me. Maybe you join a connect group and you're just like, oh yeah, it's feeling good. And then you spend the night at your girlfriend's house and you're like, I I just keep getting this wrong. No matter what, I do great and I do bad. God's got to feel great about me today. And then by tomorrow, he's got to hate me because I cannot get it right. It's like I do the right things, then end up doing the wrong things and I feel close to God and then I feel distant. From God, and it's like, I just don't know if I can even trust this whole relationship idea with God because I know that I keep doing things that have to disappoint God, that have to make him dislike me or be angry with me or push him or me further away from one another. I mean, it can feel like our relationship with God is expanding and contracting on a daily basis, sometimes on an hourly basis. And let me tell you, I think that this view of God is what pushes most people away from a relationship with God. I think this view of God is what pushes most people away from having a relationship with God. Because you're afraid of entering into a relationship that you know you're going to fail at. You're afraid of making promises to God that you know you can't keep. You're afraid of disappointing this all-powerful being in the sky. And because you just know day after day, it's going to be, and then, because of that, you've avoided a relationship with God. This morning, I want to tell you probably the best thing I could tell you about God. Truly, the best thing you could ever learn about God. I'm gonna share with you this morning. And if you'll really lean in, and if you'll come to understand what I'm about to say to you about God's love and the nature of his love, it will change the way that you see God. You will leave here wanting a relationship with God, not fearing a relationship with God. You'll show up next week and you're like, now I understand why these people seem so happy, crazy, excited. I get it because now I'm understanding who God is and what his love is really like. So in order to help you better understand God and your relationship with him, I wanna point you to one verse in the Bible. I'm just gonna teach on one verse today. And it's the most famous verse that's ever been written. It's John chapter number three, verse 16. Now, some of you guys are like, I don't know anything about John 3.16. And some of you are like, John 3.16, is this guy for real? I learned this way back when I was a kid in children's church. You're going to tell me something I've never understood about God from the most basic verse in the Bible? I think so. Will Will you at least let me try? Will you bear with me? John chapter number three, verse 16. John is one of the stories about Jesus' life. There are four of them in the Bible, four books of the Bible tell the stories of what Jesus said and did when he was here on earth 2,000 years ago. And they're written mostly by his first century followers. John was one of the original cats. He actually walked around and heard Jesus say and do all of these things. And so he writes them all down so that people, you know, dozens, hundreds, thousands of years later would know what Jesus said and what he did. And in John chapter number three, he's recording a conversation that Jesus has with a religious leader in his day, okay? So this is a conversation. And the verse that I'm gonna read for you is Jesus speaking about himself, okay? So he says here in John chapter number three, verse 16, for this is how much God loves the world, that he gave his one and only son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. How many of you guys have heard that verse before? Okay, a few of you have, and some of you haven't, and that's totally okay. I remind our folks all the time, nobody is born knowing the Bible. You understand? We all learn at some point, and so there will always be a first time that somebody hears John three sixteen. and today's your day. So in this passage, this famous verse, Jesus sets up a tension. And if you really think about it, this tension is mind-boggling. I've highlighted the first phrase there in this verse because it is so darn hard to believe. It says, God loves the world. God loves the world. Now, if we were to just kind of glance over that, just superficially read it and move on, we might think to ourselves, oh, well, that's nice. God loves the world. How how nice is that? But how many of you guys know the world is not always very lovable? God loves the world, but the world is not always very lovable. Let me give you a few examples, and I don't have to name a lot of these because you know them all by heart already. The world is not always very lovable. People start wars with one another. People take advantage of one another. We're not all that lovable all the time. People steal from one another, people worship false gods. People have created pickle-flavored ice cream. Like, what are we doing? What are we doing here on earth? It's an abomination. We're lucky God has not wiped us out. Did you go to the Stampede and see that pickle-flavored ice cream? It's literally pickle ice cream with a giant pickle with dill sprinkled on top. Oh, my goodness. The world is not always lovable. In little ways... And in big ways, the world is not always lovable. And yet, do you see what Jesus says here in John chapter number three? The world is not always lovable. I'm not always lovable. And yet, God always loves the world. God always loves me. It makes me wonder, how can this be? You know what I'm saying? Like, again, all of our relationships in life are constantly expanding and contracting. They're growing and they're slowing. They're waxing and they're waning. And it's all based on how well we perform, how well we treat one another. And then the scripture goes to great lengths to point out that we don't perform. We don't treat God particularly well. We end up breaking the rules more often than we keep the rules. And yet, Despite the fact that we're not very lovable, God still loves the world. The reason that this is true is found in another book of the Bible, 1 John chapter number 1, verse 8. And in 1 John 1, 8, the same John that wrote John 3, 16 that we're reading about a moment ago, he makes this super simple statement. He says, God is love. God is love. It's one of the simplest and most profound statements in the Bible. It's amazing to me. I have people all the time, and they're like, Dan, I picked up the Bible, dude. I tried to read it, but, oh, I didn't understand a word of it. If you went to John chapter number 1, verse 8, you'd understand. God is love. Now, I want you to notice a few things here, okay? The Scripture does not say that God merely feels love. It doesn't say that. Now, God does feel love, but it goes deeper and further than that. John 1.8, 1 John 1.8 says, God is love. Notice that John doesn't say, sometimes God is loving. That's the way I am. My wife would be like, yeah, sometimes he's a loving guy, but sometimes... eh." It doesn't say that. It says, God is love. No qualifications. God is love. It doesn't say... When the world behaves, God loves them. When people do right, when they follow the great commandment, when they go to church and lift their hands, when they don't lift their finger at the guy in traffic, then God loves the world. And yet that's not at all what the Bible says. It simply says God is love. Now, this is so important. Please, like if you get nothing else, I hope you'll understand this. God's nature is love. God's nature is love. That is who he is fundamentally. That means there, that God is never not loving. If you're an English teacher in here, I'm sorry I used a double negative. God is never not loving. I'm going to say that one more time. God is never not loving. He always loves the world because that is his nature. His character will not let him do anything else. He cannot do anything but love this sometimes unlovable world. Now, this might be a little different than what you've heard about God in the past. Maybe you've been to Christian churches, and uh, you got a different picture of God. Maybe you come from a different religious background, And in your religion, God was always pictured as like just on the verge of doing something crazy. You know what I mean? Like before I became a Christian, when I was 16, 17, 18 years old, and I first started going to church and I was kind of exploring all of these things, I walked in the door of church, not believing that God is love. Somewhere along the way, I got the impression that God is angry. You know what I mean? God is pissed, if I can say. He's just mad at the world. I thought that God must be up in heaven And he's got like a lightning gun. I don't know why. I'm a boy. So I just like, God's got a lightning gun. Also, I'm an American. So anyway, God is, it's true. So God is up in heaven and he's watching and he is literally like, I dare you to step out. Oh, oh, I I wish you would. I wish you would. And the moment we do, he zaps us, Right. That's what I assumed a relationship with God was actually all about. And that made me so scared to begin a relationship with God because I knew good and well that if I made a decision for Jesus, that I would somehow pop up on his radar, you know, and he'd be like, oh, Dan wants to say he's one of my followers. Well, let's just see how serious he is about it. And inevitably, when I messed up, when I stepped out of line, when I broke the rules, when I didn't live like Jesus, I just assumed God was going to say, I knew this was coming, and that was it. I was going to get zapped. This is what I assumed a relationship with God is like. And I bet many of you have felt the same way, that you could have God love you so much, but then if you step out of line, it's all coming down on you. And yet the Bible never says God is angry. The Bible says God is love. Now it's important that we point out God does get angry. So maybe you're familiar with the Bible. You're like, I don't know, there are some times where God seems pretty ticked off. Yes, you're right. Because anger is a natural component of love. If somebody hurts your children, how are you going to feel? You'll be furious. So it is with God. His anger doesn't negate his love. And although God gets angry, God is not angry. God is love. So, can I show you something? Most of you think if I do right, God's gonna love me. It's gonna be full. This relationship's gonna be wonderful. And the moment I get it wrong, It's all just going to shrivel up and die. My friends, there is nothing you could do to make God love you any more than he does right now. And there is nothing you could do that would make God love you any less than he does right now because God is love. It is his nature. It is his unchanging character. Again, we base our relationships on how we perform, how we treat one another, how well we hold up our end of this deal. But this is not what a relationship with God is like. In fact, I'll give you one principle, and it summarizes the entire Christian faith. You can walk out of here, and you're like, yep, I totally understand Christianity if you understand this one thing. Now, I taught this lesson at a youth camp a few weeks ago, and I told the kids then, I'm going to give you the high school version of this principle, and then because there were middle schoolers in the room, I'm going to give you the middle school, the junior high version of this principle. And I'm going to give you guys both anyway, and I don't want you to feel bad if you resonate with the junior high version of this. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with this at all. This one principle explains God's love in a way that summarizes the Bible, the life and teachings of Jesus, and what Connect Church stands for. You ready for it? God's love is based on His character and not my behavior. I've said that a few times around here before, because this is it. This is the bottom line of our faith. God's love is based on his character and not on my behavior. Now, if you're like, I don't know, man, I'm not quite catching it. What do you mean? What does that entail? Then check this one out. This is simplified. God loves me even when I'm not very lovable. Man, if you walk through life believing that, even when I'm not lovable, even when I get it wrong, God still loves loves me. This is the fundamental underlying truth of what it means to be a Christian. When we invite you to become a follower of Jesus, we're not saying sign up and keep all of these rules and you better, or <laughs> we're not saying, hey, you better give us all your money or, hey, you better serve week in or week out or our, our love and affection for you is just going to, no, 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 no. When we ask you to consider following Jesus, what we're asking you to consider is a relationship with God in which the love is based on his character and not your behavior. So can I tell you something? That means that a relationship with God, his love for me is not summarized by this balloon that is unstable, unsteady. It bursts unexpectedly. God's love is not like this, that grows and contracts day in and day out based on how good I'm following what the Bible says. No, no, no. A relationship with God. God's love for me is based on this stupid balloon that's been floating above my head this entire time. It is steady. It is stable it never grows any bigger and it never shrinks any smaller because God's fundamental character, his nature is love for all of his children, for all of his creation. There is no change day in and day out. God does not love me anymore when I obey. God does not love me any less when I disobey. This is what God's love is like in your life. Can I tell you something? That means that on your very best day, God's love has been hovering over you just like this. And on your very worst day, the day you never talk about, the day that fills you with regret and anxiety, the secrets you keep, the skeletons in your closet, during those days, God's love was hovering over you. When you get it right, he is with you, full of love. When you get it wrong, God is still with you, full of love. Listen, if you draw close to God you are going to feel and experience his love. But can I tell you something? If you try to pull a Jonah and you're like, I'm gonna get away from God, leave me alone, let me do my own thing, what happens? His love continues to follow you. It will be with you no matter where you go, no matter what you do. You cannot run away from God's love. So I think it's time for some of you to quit running because you ain't gonna get away. He loves you too much to let you go. You make a decision today, God's love's going to be there. You walk out the door, God's love's going to be there, even if you don't choose to follow Him. But I can't understand why anybody would not want a relationship with God that is based on His character and not our behavior, in which we have unconditional, never-ending, overflowing love. It just boggles my mind that anyone would say no to that kind of relationship. I think it's because many of us still have the idea that God's love is based on our behavior and it expands and it contracts based on how well we perform. And, and, and in truth, like this is the way most religions operate. Um, I'll, I'll just tell you, this is what separates Christianity from every other belief system on the planet, because in most religions, you have to do these things and then God will accept you. But in Christianity, we know that we are accepted by God. Then we get to do these things to make a difference in the world. Now, even in the Old Testament, which is like the first part of the Bible, people tried to interact with God based on their behavior, based on, you know, doing the right thing and keeping God happy and all that sort of stuff. And so if you're familiar with the Old Testament, there was a time when God required people to make sacrifices and they had to obey the Mosaic law and they had to, you know, be at the temple at the right time. And there were just all these crazy rules. And there's some weird ones in the Bible for sure. Sure. And the reason that God did that, the reason he let people try to relate to him on the basis of their behavior, and he did this for like 2,000 years, and the reason he let it go on for millennia was because that's how long we needed to see that if a relationship with God is based on my behavior, I'm in trouble because I am not going to get it right. I am not going to be where I'm supposed to be. I'm not going to say the things I'm supposed to do. I'm not going to love people the way that I'm supposed to love them. And so finally, God intervenes and he says, hey, you know what? If I keep letting you try to make me happy with your behavior, you're always going to end up miserable because a relationship with me is not based on your behavior. It is based on my character. I want to read you a passage from Romans chapter number seven. And I just want like I wonder if this doesn't describe you and your relationship or your approach to God perfectly. It describes mine. It's like it's autobiographical. It's not, but let me read it to you. Romans chapter number seven. Listen to what the Bible says here. What I don't understand about myself is that I decide one way, but then I act another. I do things that I absolutely despise. So if I can't be trusted to figure out what is best for myself and then do it, it becomes obvious that God's command is necessary. So the reason God gives us commands is not so that he'll love us or he won't. It's so that we understand how we're supposed to live and make a difference in the world. He says, but I need something more than rules. If I know the rules, but I still can't keep them, And if the power of sin within me keeps me, uh, keeps sabotaging my best interests, then I obviously need some help. He goes on to say, I realize that I don't have what it takes. Anybody there? Yeah, I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but then I don't actually do it. I decide not to do bad, and then I do the bad stuff anyway. My decisions, such as they are, don't result in actions. Something has gone wrong deep within me, and it gets the better of me every single time. He says, it happens so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands, but it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. Parts of me covertly rebel. And just when I least expect it, they take charge. He finishes up by saying, I have tried everything and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? And then Paul answers. He says, here's the answer I found, that thank God, Jesus Christ can and does. He can and will do for me what I cannot do for myself. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions where I want to serve God with all my heart and mind, but I'm pulled away by the influence of sin to do something totally different. This is what Christianity, this is what the Bible, this is what we are all about here. We are about having a relationship with God through Jesus. And when you have a relationship with God through Jesus, do you know that you never have to worry that God is proud of you today and he despises you tomorrow. You will walk through every single hour of every single day confident that God's love is with you. And it never ends ever changes. Let me finish up John 3, 16. We're going to move through this quick, I promise. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish. Did you notice, can you you tell? I mean, this is pretty obvious, right? What's the difference between this balloon and this balloon? Helium, okay, yes, yes, yes. But you know what? I filled this one with helium. So what's the difference? It's a knot. There's a knot in this one. That's the difference. That's it. Jesus tied the knot on God's love for us. You know what I'm saying? He tied the knot on God's love for us. For as long as you try to relate to God independent of Jesus, it's going to be like, I get it right. I get it wrong. I don't know what to do. Why can't I make this happen? You can't. And so Jesus comes along, he seals God's love over your life. He demonstrates and he puts into effect just how much God cares for you so that your relationship with God is not based on how well you perform. It's not based on how well you follow the rules. It's based on trusting that God is love. Some of you guys... Need to tie the knot with Jesus. You know, okay, this metaphor is getting a little cheesy, but you know what I mean? Like, you need to make this thing, get off me. You need to make this thing official. You need to make this thing official. You need to say, I'm tired of a relationship with God that keeps getting close and then far. It keeps getting full and then empty. I need something that's going to last. And I'm telling you, God so loved you, even when you're not lovable. That He gave His one and only Son so that everyone who believes in Him. Everyone. Do you notice it says everyone? Everyone. Everyone. Every one of you. It doesn't say just the people who get it right. It doesn't say just the pastor's. It doesn't say just the people who get their act together. The Bible tells us again and again and again that God loves everyone. I don't know how many times you've tried to pop this balloon with your actions. I have no idea what you've done in life, and some of it might have been pretty dramatic. Doesn't matter. You're still in everyone, and God still loves you. God loves everyone. So that... Everyone who believes in him will not perish, but find eternal life. So this is really key. Because if God just loves everyone, and that's the end of it, if it was just like a period or they cut out the next phrase, you know what? You could go live your life. You could do anything and everything you wanted, and God loves you. And so one day you'll stand before him, and he'll be like, Ah, don't worry about it. I mean, I know you broke all the rules. I know you ignored me your whole life. You pretended like I wasn't there. But I love you. Instead, God's love is present over everyone. But most people will spend their lives trying to run away from God, doing what I did. Get off me, man. Leave me alone for a moment, okay? And so the scripture says the difference between someone who has the, the knot tied on their relationship with God is someone who believes in him. This is the difference maker. You believe in Jesus. And that word believe, it doesn't literally mean just with your brain like, oh yeah, Jesus was probably a guy who lived a couple thousand years ago and he said some pretty important things. Yeah, I believe that. No, 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 no. When the Bible uses this phrase, believes in him, the word that it's using, it means to trust with all of your weight. It means to lean into it, to believe that it's true to the point that you would test it with everything you have. And trust that you'll come out safe on the other side. Now, I know that sounds hard, but can I tell you, you do this all the time. Some of you guys went to Stampede last week and you rode the sketchiest carnival rides on the face of the planet. And you know what you did? You trusted. You put your faith in. You believed that the ride was anchored properly when they set that sucker up. You believed that it had passed all of its safety inspections. You trusted that the meth head who was strapping you, I'm sorry, that was really mean. You trusted that the carny who was strapping you in was doing a good job. You trusted that everything was gonna hold you in. You didn't just believe it. Now, some of you did. Some of you were scared. You're like, I believe I'd probably survive that ride, but I ain't gonna trust it. Some of you though, you trusted it with all your weight. You strapped yourself into something in which you could have died. And in doing so, you trusted, you believed, and you put your faith in fallible people. So it boggles my mind that we wouldn't put our trust or our faith in an infallible God so that we could live. You know what it means to trust. You know what it means to believe. You know what it means to have faith. And today I want to encourage you to do it, to put your trust and your faith in Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, the one who ties the knot on your relationship with God, the one who will change the way that you see yourself and God from this day forward. Because the final promise of this verse is that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life life. I don't have a lot of time today to explain to you what eternal life means, but usually it gets reduced down to, if you're good, you'll go to heaven when you die. That is not what eternal life means at all. The eternal life that Jesus promised us does not start at some distant point in the future. It starts in the here and now. When you receive eternal life from Jesus, your soul is healed. Your heart experiences healing. Your mind experiences renewal. Your relationships start to thrive. You start to desire to have fellowship or relationship with God. It literally changes everything from the moment you place your trust in this idea that God is love. Let me give you the bottom line and I'm gonna pray for you. We have eternal life because of God's eternal